day to you from Backwoods Theology. We're glad to be back again with you today. We pray that uh, you have been well since then. We appreciate all of the people that listen to the podcast. I was just somewhere last week and had several come up to me thanking me for the podcast episodes, and uh, that just made me feel good that people are actually listening and eager for more, and that's exciting. My grandmother always used to say, it's fun to feed hungry people, Mm. and uh, it is fun to feed people who are hungry for the Word of God. So that is why we're here today. I've got my two friends. Say hi, two friends. Hello. 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 Well, yes. Hey, do you want some interesting statistics on the podcast? Absolutely. On the podcast? Yeah. Okay. I uh, I ask our producer occasionally just to see how we're going. So this would have been true as of yesterday. Okay, okay, so this, this today, is... so two days ago, um, we had 25, like, daily downloads. That's not total. That's just for a day. So on any given day, about 25. In a week, about 150. Um, over the past month, we've had 654 downloads. Okay. Now, I did 600 of those. How many did you do? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did the other 54. Yeah. And then all time, like over like 6,500 all time downloads. That's kind of cool. 6,500. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yep. So I think, I mean, you take, if you want to be real, um, real cynical, you take the number of podcasts that we have done, which is about 30 something, and then divide that by 6,500. <laughs> what would that come up to? Now, gonna, now, can I do the math while you're commentating? Is a, is a download considered a listen? I would think so. Like, can you listen without downloading? I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's 216, you know. Downloads per episode is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm great. I would have been happy if it was three yeah. per episode. So that's kind of hey, cool. That's awesome. I mean, I'll go on record again to say I would do this whether anybody listened. Because right. Because I really... Yeah. You learn by talking things out in a debate type, you know, fashion. And I know I learned that way. That's how we learn. We really debated though. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I will I will say this that the people that have reached out, which I'm you've had some yes. reach out, both of yes. you, uh, have all been just thankful for um, not just the content, but the spirit in which we handle it. Hmm. So we definitely discuss I don't think we've been jerks too often about no, things. No, no, no. No. Um, not at least on the outside. We saved that for our guests. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, all the jerk stuff gets omitted from the podcast. They're actually three hours long, uncut. Uncut. Oh, oh man. Well, we've got an exciting topic for you today. Um, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to get it open so that we can study this particular topic. But um, our particular topic today is on those who feel that they need to correct the Bible. And I guess I'll start it off by giving a, an illustration personally, which happened in my family, to lead up to this particular podcast. This was a few years ago, and we were taking a week away from the ministry. We were staying to home. We call it a staycation, which is our favorite. But whenever we do that, we do vi- we do go to another church. I mean, you can't go to your own church and be on vacation. So we went to an area church, and on the way to the church, uh, 
Karen and I, my wife and I, had been talking about Bible correctors, those who feel the need to correct the Bible. And so my wife asked me, James, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that they're correcting the Bible? And so uh, I explained that to her, but no less than 30 minutes from when she asked that question, we went to this church and sat in the adult Sunday school class, and the particular man who was teaching the class was in Hebrews 4 and verse 8, and he corrected the Bible. Instead of saying, for if Jesus, he said, for if Joshua. And I leaned over to Karen and I said, that is Bible correcting. And then she fully understood what I meant. And so I thought it would be good for us to talk about that today and specifically talk about this Hebrews 4.8. This is a very, I would say, famous verse for Bible correctors. I have an old Schofields is what I've always used. Now the text says in Hebrews 4.8, for if Jesus, but in the note in the middle, it just says without apology, it just says Joshua. So Schofield believes that it should read for if Joshua. If you look up in other versions, for instance, the ESV, which I believe is the most popular version today because of the huge uh, Calvinistic movement, if you look it up in the ESV, it says, without apology, for if Joshua. They have changed it to Joshua. And I thought it would be a good podcast for us to understand that you not only are you changing the Word of God, but you are just adding error, hmm. not just by using the wrong name. Now the text doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. at all by changing this to Joshua. All right, I've set the table. Does do any of you want to say anything before we get started? I would just add that if you think that it should say Joshua, then you have to acknowledge that when the King James was the only available English translation from 1611 to 18... 80 something when the RSV came out, you have to acknowledge that people had a Bible that was errant for t the greatest missionary movement, right? Mm -hmm. Of our time, they mm -hmm. were using a Bible that had errors in it. Uh, and that's, but people don't want to come out and say it that way. They don't want to be so bold as to say that. Why do you think, why do you think that people are willing to consider that it means Joshua when we read Jesus. Do you think it's the Hebrew name? It's my understanding that the Hebrew for Joshua and the, the Hebrew for Jesus is very similar. The Yeshua? Yeah, the Yeshua. The Greek word Yesu is equivalent to the Hebrew word Yeshua. So Joshua is Hebrew, Jesus would be Greek. That's that's the the linguistics. But we know that the scriptures are not – how can I word this without sounding weird? It's not just about linguistics and the scriptures. You know what I mean? 
So, so I like your approach with the with the word Bible corrector because, well, you know, well, the Greek word means Jesus, uh, Joshua. Hang on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I believe that this word is inspired and given to me in the English language in the King James. So God clearly has a reason why it says Jesus here, and not Joshua. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think we have to give a. Not, not a reason why people are going to say this means Joshua. Mm-hmm. Well, not every Jesus in here doesn't mean Joshua, but this one, because the context is talking about the children of Israel and yada, yada, yada. And so I think we have to build a reason why, not a reason why, but an understanding that's why they say Joshua, but... There's a part just in this verse alone that can clearly show you that it's not Joshua; it's actually Jesus. Okay. So, um, if that makes sense, the way, right, they, the way I'm saying it, the second reason would be they misinterpret what the text is saying. Okay. They just simply see, oh, people going into the land, um, entering into rest. Well, that happened under Joshua, so. Yes. They combine that with the misunderstanding of the languages and think, well, here's just one that the King James translators got wrong, mm-hmm. and so they feel the need to correct it. So I think it's a combination, both of the original languages as well as the misinterpretation of what is being said in the text. Okay. That's where it comes from, I believe. So the best way for us can to I approach offer it. a third? Yeah. I believe that there is a spirit where people just want there to be errors. Mm. They want errors mm-hmm. in the Word of God. Yeah. Because they're so anxious and foaming at the mouth to find them yeah. that a third reason, and it's just, I guess, a personal reason for me, they want, the, well, they want there to be Yeah, hath God said, the original question. Right. Yeah. So there's the... The spirit of man in it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to, how do you want to unpackage it? How do you want to approach it? The linguistic method is not one that we're going to use. We're not going to, no. we're not going to make a Greek and Hebrew argument no. for it. Because is not the name Jesus not once given in the Hebrew? Correct. Jesus is only Jesus found. Jesus is only given in Greek. That's, yes. it's, it's, I don't think that there's anywhere that it was originally given in Hebrew anyway. So, because the name Jesus doesn't appear anywhere in in our English Bible Old Testament. So, um, no, I, I think the first thing you need to do, context is everything. What context is set for us is everything. Um, besides, here's another question. Besides Hebrews 11, now I have not looked this up. Maybe you guys can look it up right now. Does the name Joshua appear anywhere in Hebrews besides Hebrews 11? The, the name Joshua or Jesus? Joshua. Because the name Joshua never appears in the entire New Testament. Right, nowhere. Okay, so it's not even in Hebrews 11. Right, which means we don't have, we don't have a Greek rendering of the name Joshua even. Like, so the closest is Romans 9, okay? But it's not Joshua, it's Hosea. Although both names are very similar, mm-hmm. it's the it's the word Ossi or O C O S E E. It's Romans nine twenty five. As he saith also in Ossi, 
I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. Now that... Okay, now I got to look that up, because I thought Ossie referred Hosea. It is. It's Hosea. Hosea. Yeah, it's not, that's not Joshua. No, what I'm okay. saying is... Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Hosea and Joshua are similar. Gotcha. I thought you were saying no, 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 that no, no. He's not, he's not Joshua. No, he's not quoting Joshua. He's gotcha. quoting Hosea. Okay. But they're similar that's in That's the closest words. we have. Yes. I hear you. I just learned something. All right. Because Hosea oftentimes in the Old Testament is also used without an H, just says Osea. And Joshua oftentimes is used Asea or Ashua. So they're very similar... In in word, I guess I can say it that way. So I guess my question is, do we have a mention of Joshua anywhere in the New Testament? Oh, man. Um, like, I'm just I'm trying to think whether he's referenced, but not without, without name. There's a controversial one in Acts that ties into what we're doing right now. Because I say controversial. I love no. You said controversial. Controver- controversial. No, but I like the, the way Hebrew, you said it. What's the Hebrew <laughs> for controversial? What's wrong with me? I'm saying sorry. It just sounded. Normally, you go to like the redneck accent, but yes. then you like you went totally opposite. You said controversial, like like an academic it's scholar. Like syrup or syrup. We do bust Josh for that. You know. <laughs> we do. Hey, Sarge. Man. What? <laughs> So he always goes to his Gomer pile. Where's, oh, there it is. Acts 7, uh, 45. So I'll go with 44 just to give the context. This yeah. is clearly Stephen preaching um, to the rulers of Israel. And he's going to give a Jewish history. And he says in verse 44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had pointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that had seen that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after, talking about the people who came after Moses, mm-hmm. brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out from before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Okay, Schofield here says that that That's should Joshua. also be Joshua. Yes. And now, here's where I'm going with, with my understanding here. Historically... Yes. Okay. Did Joshua bring the children of Israel into the promised land when Moses didn't? Well, that's Joshua 1. Starts off with that. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people. Right? So uh, Joshua clearly is chosen. Now, I believe the scripture is giving us Jesus here in Acts 7, very similar to Hebrews 4. I don't want to get ahead of you mm-hmm. with Hebrews 4. But um, I think there's a, uh, again, not just historical, not just applicable, what some people call it devotional, there's a prophetical truth that's being taught, even in Acts 7, that we miss by just saying, well, that just means Joshua. Well, there's... there's cl- <laughs> it, it happens, okay, Chad? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> So you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. There, there's a teaching here, and I think we miss it by just jumping from historical to applicable and missing the prophetical. And I don't want to get ahead because I want to share it, but I don't want right, to say right, right. it. I don't want to get ahead of you. But I will say I can understand where a person would look at Acts 7, 45, and Hebrews, and why they would conclude yes. that it's a reference to Joshua. And I would most of my life. Right. I've actually preached that. I was. I was... I wasn't wrong, but I missed, I think, what the scriptures teach. Right. So we could be sympathetic to the 
the position. Yes. But now we want to right. now we want to destroy believe... it. Let's destroy it. Now, yeah. The book of we're, we're the sympathetic. Book of, now let's just destroy it. The That's book right. of Hebrew the greatest commentary in the word of God is the word of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so the book of Hebrews is commentary on Acts 7. So we can't we Can you repeat that? Repeat that. The word of God. So Acts 7. He, the Hebrews. book of Hebrews is commentary on Acts 7. Okay. It helps give us more understanding. Would you say specifically Hebrews 4 and Acts 7? Hebrews 3 and 4. Okay. Okay. Really in Hebrews 3 and 4 go together. Oh, that's good. Because it's teach the the same because it starts off with let us therefore in chapter 4 and verse 1, mm-hmm. which, which tells us, okay, I words. have to yeah. accept yeah. what has been, okay, the context which has been, est- this is what I teach the folks at our church. When the context is established for us, we can't then change the context for our own use. Mm-hmm. Oh, we that's can't. Good. So the context, I believe, is established for us in chapter 3. Hebrews is about a book of comparisons. Christ is going to be compared to the prophets mm-hmm. in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. He's going to be compared to the angels mm-hmm. in chapter 2. He's going to be compared with Adam, the first man, in chapter 3. Uh, he is uh, going to be compared with... Uh, forgive me, that was chapter two, man. He's going to be compared with Moses, the first six verses of chapter three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the context is established for us in chapter three and verse seven, because you will note in Hebrews three and verse seven, no less than three times in the next chapter, Psalm 95 is cited. Starting in that parenthetical in verse seven, here's another great, <laughs> here's another great, um, <laughs> here's another great episode as well. If you turn to Psalm 95, there is, at least in, in my old school field, there's no designation as to who wrote the psalm. It does not say a psalm of David. Mm. So if we wanted to be super spiritual, we'd say, well, God, God's the author of Psalm 95, which he is. Mm-hmm. Well, according to Hebrews 3 and verse 7, it says Holy who Ghost. is the author of Psalm 95? Sure. The Holy Ghost saith. But then if you turn to um, Hebrews 4 and verse 7, which is also quoting Psalm 95, who is called the author of Psalm 95? David. David. Yeah. So um, I'm not pointing out controversy here. What I'm pointing out is this is one of the great examples in the scriptures of inspiration of Second Peter That's chapter great. one, yeah. where the holy where holy men move as mm. the Holy Ghost sp- spake. Yeah. Well, would you tie that to one of our um, conversations about apparent contradictions. It's not one, and when no. you find quote-unquote one, you're actually going to learn a greater truth. Mm-hmm. And here's a good example. 
well, the Holy Ghost did it or David. It's the same because that's a good, I say it's the same, but you know what I mean? It's a great teaching tool on what inspiration is. That's really So good. 2 Peter one twenty one is commentary on Hebrews 3 and 4. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. A proof text of that would be Hebrews 3 and 4. The Bible says in one passage that as the Holy the Holy Ghost saith, but then in the next chapter, it says saying in David. So to me, that's not a contradiction. To me, that's just a proof text of first of Second Peter chapter one. So when I say the Bible is a commentary unto itself, there are passages that I can only understand. For instance, how can you possibly understand Daniel without? Re- how can you possibly understand Revelation without Daniel? Mm-hmm. How can you possibly understand Revelation without Zechariah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are commentary on each other. Um, you know my belief about Revelation. I believe the rest of the Book of Revelation is commentary on Revelation six. Um. Genesis 2 is commentary on Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. In Genesis 1, man is created, but his name is not given. But in Genesis 2, we have more detail of Genesis 1. It's commentary on Genesis 1. So um, Hebrews 3 and 4 is commentary on Stephen's, yes, historical, but also prophetical <laughs> I don't want to get into too many podcast episodes because I don't believe that church in the wilderness, he's just simply looking back. I believe that is also prophetical, that reference to the church in the wilderness, I believe is also prophetical to to the nation of Israel in the wilderness in Revelation 12. So it's a a dual purpose. Which, again, leads credence to the great truth of dual fulfillment in the scriptures. Yeah. Yes. So, okay, all that to say, <laughs> context, I believe, for Hebrews 4.8, and it does not change. The context doesn't change, and it is set for us first by using Moses. Notice Joshua is not the comparison. Moses is the comparison, because we're going to find when we get to Hebrews 4.8, Joshua was not in charge of the people that this verse is even talking about. Mm. Moses was. Joshua, the people that is being talked about in this passage, Joshua is the servant of Moses at this time. Joshua is not in charge. Hebrews 4.8 cannot be Joshua. Mm. It can't be Joshua contextually. It can't be the very verse when we get to it. Verse 8 makes no sense if it's Joshua. Makes no sense at all. So let's just take it one at a time. Let's look at the context, which is established for us. The context is established for us by quoting Psalm 95. You notice it quotes Psalm 95 in verse 7, the parenthetical down through verse 11. Mm -hmm. It quotes it again, starting in verse 15. It quotes the same Psalm again. Then it quotes it again in Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 3. So, so three chapter three verses seven to eleven. Correct. Quote Psalm ninety five. 
Then beginning chapter in four. Well, no, well, chapter three, verse, verse fifteen. 15. It okay. quotes it again. Okay. Then, um, it quotes it in again. chapter four, he begins to quote it again in verse three okay. of chapter four. So he's quoting the same psalm three different times. Uh, now, I will give credit to this, to my friend Jim Alter. He is the only one I've ever heard say this, that repetition is God's volume control. Yeah. And he said that, and I, I get it. I, I believe it, and I've embraced that. So here is three times God is referencing Psalm 95. And when, when, when we talk about volume control, it's as, as we get louder, it is to get... To call attention. Yeah. Correct. As right? it's being as it's being repeated, there's more pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. And Psalm ninety-five is not about Joshua. It's about the temptation in the wilderness. And well, that's good. So Israel's temptation in the wilderness. And you will so contextually, we see that Hebrews four eight is not talking about entering into the land under Joshua. Mm. It is not. Hebrews chapter number three is going to it's 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 going to compare two generations of Israel, two specific generations. Um, there are several, there are several um, indicators to tell us precisely the generation that God is referring to. That if you'll notice in verse number eight and nine, God is referencing that older generation in the wilderness, the 20 and above or the above 20. Is it 20 and above or? Yes. Because you'll- Or because 21 and above or- God makes a distinction in verse 16 that not everyone who came out of Egypt provoked me. Sure. Only that older generation, because you'll notice in verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. And we're, we're talking about, like, historically, we're referring to that time when Israel comes out of Egypt, Moses sends 12 spies into the this promised land. This is about land. Kadesh Barnea. Right. 10 men went, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were, were bad, bad and two, two were good. good. Right? right. So we're talking about that and that rebellion. That, that, because you'll notice in verse 10, mm -hmm. wherefore I was grieved with that. Notice generation is singular. Mm -hmm. That generation, the generation that provoked me in the wilderness. You will notice um, if... You will notice in verse 17. Of chapter again, three. Yep. Chapter three. Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. So it's very clear which generation He's that God to. is referring to. Mm -hmm. He is not referring to all that came out of Egypt, verse 16. Remember that the younger generations were allowed to enter in. Mm -hmm. But God is... His wrath was poured out on that original generation. So when it says in verse 19, I believe 19 is key. If you don't like pronouns in the word of God, you're going to get lost here. So when I read Hebrews 3.19, so we see, who's we? 
that they, who's they? So we, in Hebrews 3 and 4, you're going to see a comparison between the we and the us and the they and the them. Well, we have to identify who is that talking about. Hmm. So we see, now before we spiritualize this about the church, go to the top of the page, whose mail are we reading? It's Hebrews. The name of this book is not church. It is Hebrews. And I believe this is specifically a tribulational generation because the timing of this is set for us in Hebrews 2 and verse 5. In Hebrews 2 and verse 5, it says, the world to come whereof we speak. Mm. So we know contextually that we are being told not of this world, but of the world to come. You can go to a previous podcast episode where we identified the four worlds. So the world to come, this is referring to tribulation and kingdom. So that is how I know. So we see, because that's present tense, the we is the group, I believe, of Jews that are currently Revelation 12 in the wilderness, just like their fathers were in the wilderness, they are in the wilderness, just like their fathers were compelled to believe, they are being compelled to believe. Um, Which is why he would quote Psalm 95 so much. This tribulation Jews are being told, do not doubt God like your fathers did. Because you'll notice verse 18 and 19 tells us very clearly why they didn't enter in. It says, but to them that believed not, verse 18, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of... Their unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief, which I believe is the unpardonable sin. And so... These tribulational Jews are being told, do not, do not have the spirit of unbelief like your fathers did before you. And that unpardonable sin, contextually, has everything to do with Israel. Yes. Right? Yes. It's in what, Matthew? Matthew. Yes. Right. Like, you don't find anything about an unpardonable sin... For the church. For the church. Um, yeah. I read that the other day and was thinking about that. How that's... The church can't commit... You know, a saved person can't commit the unpardonable sin. Right. It's impossible. It's biblically impossible. Right. It's this spirit of unbelief. Um, You know, verse four says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. You'll notice this entering into the rest. That is strictly Israel. You will not find one reference in the epistles about the New Testament believer entering into the... Okay, um, when Christ was compelling Israel to believe, he never once said, do this or you'll go to hell. You will not enter therein. You will not enter therein. Unless you come as the faith of a little child, you will not enter therein. You will not enter. You will not enter. That phrase, ye will not enter, is not once in the epistles. This is speaking, Hebrews 4 is specifically, the us there is not the church. Because, okay, if it's the church, 
According to Hebrews 2.5, the church is going through the tribulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Hebrews 2.5 set the time for us. It is speaking of the world to come, and the time has not changed. And so... Can I hit a couple points real quick? Please. I know like, I'm talking a lot. No, this is good. I'm just like, stuff is... I'm thinking through... All of I'm just this, taking notes. All of this, but all isn't all of this derived ultimately from our understanding that the theme of the Bible is Christ and His kingdom. Yes, and the world to come is that millennial reign of Christ through Israel upon the earth, right, where He'll sit on the throne of His Father David, and then also uh, Sabbath. I mean, th- that rest, that Sabbath rest, Sila, Sila, right, that seventh day, that last day of the week. You know, even Israel's, all of the the law that was given to them uh, regarding the Sabbath elevated their awareness of that rest to come. That's right. You know, it was, it wasn't just an arbitrary rule where God said, okay, one day out of the week, you can't do stuff because I said so. It would direct their attention to the rest that was set aside for the people of God in the Mm -hmm. world to come. Whenever you see that word selah, it is a reference to the millennial rest because the Bible teaches us that since Solomon, since Solomon, Israel has not been at rest. Yeah. And Israel, okay, we'll see at the end of this that Joshua, the nation of Israel did enjoy rest under Joshua. They also enjoyed rest under Solomon, but they were partial rests. They came to an end. Mm -hmm. That is why Christ, when in the gospel said, a greater than Solomon is here, Mm -hmm. that the rest that I bring, come unto me, all ye that are, I'm misquoting, burdened and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest rest." for your souls. He was promising rest unto them. And so I'm just showing that all we've done is is contextually, contextually showing that the context of this passage is not talking about the time of Joshua. Hmm. It is talking about the time of Moses. It is clear that it is it is the um, the time when Moses was over the nation of Israel. So the first reason why I believe verse eight. The only argument you could make is it would say, for if Moses had given them rest, Mm -hmm. because the them in verse 8, the context has not changed. Mm -hmm. The them in verse 8 is speaking of that original generation. That was not able to go in. Correct. And Joshua was not in charge of them. Mm -hmm. So contextually, that's who the them is. For... If Jesus had given them what that's saying, because when it says, for instance, um, in verse three of chapter four, as I have sworn in my wrath, who's the I there? It's God. Mm -hmm. So verse three is saying, God is saying, hey, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world... God is speaking there in verse three. Yeah. So, um, so contextually, verse eight cannot be about Joshua. It doesn't make any sense. Joshua isn't even mentioned. He's not even implied in these references. Are we good on that? There's other reasons, but 
Sure. So, I mean, I think what you've shown is that the reference to entering into that rest and the, you know, them is referring to a, the generation that did not go in. Therefore, it cannot be referring to the generation that did go in. Correct. And cannot be referring to Joshua. Correct. That distinction is made up in verse 16. Right. God's wrath was not on all those. His wrath was upon... So verse 8 is saying, for if Jesus had given them rest... Them. What that's saying? If, if Jesus had given that original generation rest, even though they did not believe, he's not a just God. Mm, he's, that's good. So it's stating an impossibility in verse 8. And he's warning them. Like he's warning them of the example of that generation. There's because no they, warning. Right. There's no warning necessary for the generation that went in. That did go in. Not all the Jews in the wilderness in Revelation 12 will believe. Mm -hmm. The Bible says only the third. That's right. Now, the only thing I'm thinking is, okay, they're obviously those who are martyred. That's the fifth seal of Revelation 6. Are they those that believed and were killed? Hmm. I, I haven't got that all figured out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know full well that there will be Jews in the wilderness who will succumb, who will take the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. They will not believe, so they will not enter into the rest. So what Hebrews 3 and 4 is about, it is comparing that original generation with this tribulational generation, and it's saying, do not be unbelieving like your fathers. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. You have got to believe. Christ referenced it in Matthew 24, 13, that, that they who endure unto the end shall, shall be, be saved. saved. Right. Um, so secondly, verse 8, cannot be Joshua. Because I've just shown you contextually, it's impossible. Grammatically and biblically, it's impossible. Okay? For if Joshua had given them rest, <laughs> then would he... That pronoun he, what is its antecedent? Jesus. When did Joshua speak of another day? Right. Right. That's good. That reference to have spoken of another day is directly referencing Psalm 95. Yeah. Did Joshua write Psalm 95? Because grammatically in verse eight, if it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? When in the world did Joshua do that? Hmm. Well, he, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Right, right. So look at the... Sorry, I'm writing. Look yeah. at the... <laughs> Look at the error that you've just added to that verse mm -hmm. by putting Joshua there. Because now I'm searching the scriptures that Joshua penned, trying to figure out what is this another day that you talked about. I've looked through the book of Joshua. Everything that he said never spoke never of another, another day, day of rest. Mm -hmm. never, never any reference. Mm -hmm. You'll notice what I find interesting. You know, Schofield is quick to say Jesus should be Joshua, but then he has no note. For the rest of the verse. For the rest of the verse. Okay, then what is this other day that Joshua spoke of? Mm -hmm. There's no reference there because there isn't any, because it's directly referencing Psalm 95. Here's what's interesting. If you study the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is the book 
that quotes the Old Testament more than any other book, by mm. far. I mean, you'll have verses that quote two passages in the same verse. I mean, we're only in Hebrews 4. I bet 20 times the Old Testament has been referenced. By far, the book that is referenced the most is the book of Psalm, because the book of Hebrews is written to exactly that, the Hebrews, not the elders, not the rulers, not the scribes, not the Pharisees. It's written to the common, ordinary, Tuesday morning Hebrew. And what Old Testament book would a Hebrew know the most? Psalms. 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 It's the songs that they sang. Yeah. So of course, that is the book that they are going to be the most familiar with. So if you're trying to reach unbelieving Jews in the tribulation, you're going to get them to focus not only on the Old Testament. They're not going to quote the book of Ephesians right. in Hebrews. Right. They're going to quote the Old Testament, and they're going to quote the books that they're the most familiar with, yeah. and that is the book of Psalm. So that is why Psalm 95 is just cited again and again. And it's cited a fourth time in Hebrews 4.8, the very verse that we're citing. What does Joshua have anything to do with the writing of Psalm 95? He doesn't. He has nothing to do with it. It's because the King James translators knew this is about Jesus. Hmm. This isn't about... And think, Hebrews is a book of comparisons. Hmm. Chapter 3 establishes the context for us. It tells us about, notice what it says about Moses. It says, verse 5, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house. If you're wondering what his house is, <laughs> Moses sent his wife away. Moses didn't even circumcise his own son. So this is not saying, oh, it, Moses' family, he had his family under control. Where's the verse further on down? Um... Where does it say, Josh or Chad? Further on down, it says, it mentions house, and then it says, whose house we are. Um, oh, where does it say that? Apologize, I should have had that. It might be in, it might be chapter four, too. Uh, digging, 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 digging. I'm sorry. It will make a statement, speaking of a house, and then it says, they identify themselves that they are the house. Um. This is where I go straight. Now I'm embarrassed. No, don't be embarrassed. I go to my uh, Bible app and I just start searching for this. Right. Within Hebrews. You're trying to find the word house. Yeah. We've done this in the past where in right, the right, podcast, right. Oh, okay. we're just... It's, it's the very next verse. Oh, <laughs> verse six. Don't six. mock us. <laughs> don't <laughs> mock <laughs> us. Yeah. It's verse six. Okay, if you're wondering where it says Moses' house, verse six is the answer. But Christ is a son over his own house whose house are we? So what that's saying is, it is the nation. Can I also just jump in there that that, that is a conditional statement? Look at that. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if, if. we hold fast the yes. confidence right. and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? He that endureth unto the end, the same shall, the be, same saved. shall be saved. That's, so what not, chapter? that's not the church. That makes people uncomfortable. I know. That's not the but church. But God does work, d deal differently with Israel than he does the church. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Moses is the example. Moses is talked continually about verse 3. Moses' house, more, you know, it's this picture of the house. Okay, when a Jew thinks of Moses, 
a Jew does not think of Moses that he was a great husband and a great father, because I don't believe he was. Just like David was not a good husband and a good father. Hmm. The relationship between Moses and Israel, in my mind, is twofold. One, he is the instrument that God used to bring the law unto Israel. Mm -hmm. That is what Moses, the law of Moses. Second, Moses is the one that brought them to the land, brought them out of bondage and to the land. Now, they didn't enter in, we're learning, because of their unbelief, Mm -hmm. but he brought them to the land. That is being compared with Jesus, and that comparison is made as soon as verse 6. Just as Moses brought them out of bondage to the land, so will Christ bring them out of bondage to the land. Mm-hmm. So that is the comparison given. So Roman, so Hebrews 4.8 is saying, just like God couldn't bring them rest because they didn't believe the first time, so this time... Jesus will not bring them rest if they do not believe. So the third reason this is not Joshua is because of the picture that is being given. It does not fit. Just like that original generation, because of unbelief, could not go in, so shall this tribulational generation not go in because of unbelief. Mm. You must believe. You must believe. So, um, So the picture... It cannot be Joshua. Um, I could go on and on, but (laughs) I I, I don't need any more. But um, again, for the person who wants to find, honestly, now they won't admit it, who wants there to be errors in the Bible, you know, nothing will convince them. That's right. Nothing will convince them because um, they have their minds set. But there's three reasons that it's impossible that it could be Joshua. I, I just think the chronological argument to me is the is the one that seals it. Like those additional two are good. But the first one when I realized, well, he's speaking of that, like that generation. Yeah, yeah. Right? It can't be, if he's referring to that generation, then it doesn't, you can't, you can't dismiss that. Um, so that's very good. Here's the fourth reason. I'll give you one <laughs> Let's more. Let's keep going. <laughs> that's right. For if G... Okay, now I'm going to read... What I'm reading to you is not the Bible. Okay. Okay? I'm reading the skeptic. For if Joshua had given them rest, that is how the skeptic would read that, right? of course. The rest was not Joshua's... To give. To give. And that's right from the book of Joshua. Um, Let me turn to it. The rest was not Joshua's to give. But according to this verse, if this says Joshua, the rest was was Joshua's to give. Um, Joshua twenty three one, and it came right. to That's pass. That's what I was looking for. That's what I just turned to. Read it, read it, brother Josh. And uh, Josh, read it, Joshua Jesus. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, read it. It's a podcast about me. Read it, <laughs> brother Chad. Go ahead. Wow. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Oh, Joshua gave them rest. That's what it says. No, it says the Lord gave them rest. The Lord gave them rest. But then it's also this. Uh, Okay. So I'm just stream of consciousness here. 
<laughs> the people did enjoy rest. Oh yes, under Joshua. I'm not doubting. I'm not a par- like. So I call s- it a partial rest because the Book of Judges came. Right. Yeah. But yeah. they did enjoy rest under Joshua, but it wasn't Joshua's to give. But state the verse. The statement in verse eight implies that rest was never achieved. Correct. And rest was never enjoyed. Correct. And yet. Even if you even if you say, well, I still believe this is Joshua, well, then you have to, you know, you've chosen your camp. You have to then answer, okay, well, why does it seem that verse 8 is saying that they did not enjoy rest under Joshua? When we read in Joshua that the land, I mean, Joshua 11.23 says that the land rested from war. So there was rest mm-hmm. under the hand of Joshua but verse 8 of Hebrews 4 indicates that they didn't achieve that rest. For if, if they had, if, if verse Joshua about had Joshua, given them rest, that's right. right? So, so you, if you choose, even if you choose to say that it's, well, it's both, well, you still have to deal with that argument. That's a good point. You have to yeah. deal with, okay, well, I'm going to say it's both. Well, now you have to deal with the Joshua, the land having rest under Joshua, which came from God. Mm-hmm. Whereas verse 8 implies that rest was never enjoyed or achieved. Okay, here's three verses in Joshua. Joshua 21, 44. And the Lord gave them rest round about. Joshua 22, 4. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren. Joshua 23, 1. And it came to pass, we just read this, a long time after that the Lord had given rest. Nowhere. Can you find that Joshua is credited with giving the rest? He led them unto the rest that God had to give. But so there are four reasons that I believe that it is impossible. And I'd love to... (laughs) I have a fifth one. Give it. All right, ready? (laughs) Okay. This is so elementary. Uh, Jesus and Joshua are different... Names because they're spelled with different letters and they make different sounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. It can't be that simple. It's pretty juvenile, I know. Yeah. But I like what I like what our friend says. He says, I believe what God said because he said it. Yeah. yeah. That's a definition of faith. I believe what God said because he said it. I don't need anything else. Um again, it's you don't don't read the Bible thinking, what does this mean? You read it thinking or study it thinking, what does this say? Right. Mm. It, well, what does Jesus mean? It, it says Jesus. Mm-hmm. So read it for what it says. Yeah. Right. I'm going to remember that. That's an excellent. Don't, is that original to you? No. That is not controversial. I've never heard, <laughs> I've never heard that from anybody but you. Yeah. But. Wow. Um, but it's not original to me. Right? <laughs> but I'm not going to give credit. Well, my father-in-law said long ago, there's no original messages. Jesus preached the original messages. Yes. And we're just copying him. Well, the guy I learned it from is no longer here. He's in heaven, so he won't argue. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's what we have for you today. Uh, We believe the Bible. I'm going to call myself a Bible believer that I'm going to believe the Bible. And so please join us the next time. We're going to come to you once again with some great truths from Backwoods Theology. 